When you think about where your life is now and how you got here, have you thought about and reflected on the experiences in your life and the impact it has had on the person you are today? Here at The Shape of You, we believe that these experiences shape where you are today, either physically or mentally. My name is Tanya Jones. I am a sports radio journalist, and I've interviewed many athletes who have overcome challenges. The Shape of You podcast aims to inspire you with life stories that may help reflect on your life and further understand your strength in overcoming life's challenges. Welcome to The Shape of You. The Shape of You would not be possible without our sponsor, Agility The Power of Movement, offering massage, rehabilitation therapy, fitness training and personalised programs, plus treatment of conditions such as back and neck pain and sports injuries. Agility The Power of Movement embodies a wellness philosophy with a holistic approach of education and prevention, seeking to improve your understanding of your body and factors influencing your overall health and wellbeing. Thank you for joining me, Tiziana Cherry, for the first episode of The Shape of You. We're very excited to hear your life story about growing up in Italy and then moving to Australia at the age of 10 and a half to explore a new world with your family. An exciting journey for you and we're interested to hear how that journey has shaped who you are today. Your remedial massage therapy business, Agility, The Power of Movement, the Shape of You sponsor, has been a big success for you and I'm interested to learn the strength and resilience you have needed to develop such a success story from the ground up. Welcome to The Shape of You, Tiziana. Thanks for having me, Tanya. Great to have you on the first episode of The Shape of You and one of the big things I want to talk to you about initially is your childhood in Naples, Italy. You've you've got some interesting stories to tell. It would would have been a completely different life, I should imagine, if you're growing up in Australia compared to Italy at that stage. Absolutely. Um, from what I can remember, we lived in well, I was born in Naples in 1971. So you do the calculations. I'm 49 years old now, so. Um, it is a long time ago, but we'll we'll give it a little bit of a thought um, with answering these questions. So, yeah, so we 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 were all born in Naples. Where there's four of us. Well, there's three now, but um, my mum had four kids. Two, um, I've got two sisters, an older sister and a younger sister, um, and then I we also had a brother who unfortunately passed away three years ago. Um, and we lived in a condominium. Uh, for those of you who don't, do not know what a condominium is, it's a it's a set of uh, apartments, I, I guess. They're five-storey uh, high. Um, and we lived in a very um, a beautiful environment. You know, we had our own little porter. I keep um, keep remembering the porter used to wear a, a uniform, um, pretty much like a like a police policeman. We we were quite scared of this porter because we all we had a curfew every night. We had to be home by a certain time, and if we were mucking around in in, in you know in um, in the yard, he would be the first person to chase us with a wooden stick, telling us to go home. So, what year are we talking here? I actually think I was around maybe five or six. Yeah. 
So that's in the 1970s. Yeah, in the 70s, yeah. And I can still remember him with his, with his hat that resembled a police. And we were all so scared of this man. But I tell you what, once that curfew hit, he was out with his bat and he was just chasing us and we would hide between because you, you could imagine there was five condominiums okay five-story buildings um and we would hide between staircases and because all all the apartments we're going to call them apart, apartments um we had an elevator so we would hide everywhere so he couldn't find us and um but no every, every time he'd find us and Tell us to, to go home. Yeah, I, I suppose for your parents it would have been a great opportunity for them to discipline you in some way without having to discipline you and the porter did their job for them. I actually think our parents forgot about us. Once we were out and about and playing, we, they, they just didn't know what time we were coming home. So, But it was such a great community because we had a, we had a gate, we had, um, you know, anyone that wanted to come and visit us had to come through this porter. So they used to basically it's like an intercom system. In Australia we have an intercom system. Over there we had a porter, which meant that the porter would would buzz my mum and say, "Hey, I've got such and such wanting to come and see you." And um, so yeah, those were the protocols that you had to do to actually get into this this condominium apartment sort of setup. And when we think of Italy, I suppose we think of food mainly pizza, pasta, things like that. You've got some interesting stories to tell about food when you were growing up in terms of the tomatoes. You don't like tomatoes now. So so tell us a bit about that in growing up in Italy and, and the, the emphasis on food and enjoying it as a child. Yes, yeah, so probably a lot of you know the culture of Italy is really about eating and food. And every year my mum would make tomato, tomato sauce, um, so we lived in um, a place called Colleferro, which is not far from Rome. We we went there. I think I think I was the age of two, three maybe. My dad got work over there, so we all moved to to this place near Rome. It was about twenty two kilometers away from Rome, and we would do this passata every year. And instead of me helping mum, I would be eating tomatoes. And my mum would say, you know how many kilos you've actually eaten today? And now I can't even stand the smell of tomatoes because I just ate so many while she was actually making this sauce that now it's, oh, it just repulses me even just to think about the smell of tomatoes. And you hid it behind washing machines and things like that to avoid having to eat food like that? Well, no, I didn't really like meat, so I would I would hide the meat. I would I would shove it in my mouth and then really tuck it away behind my tongue, and then my mum would find it somewhere behind washing machines or in the toilet halfway through, you know, flushing it down the toilet. So, yeah, I wasn't a, a big big meat eater. So you had a, a great childhood in Italy. Would you say that you had a fun childhood in Italy? I had an absolute brilliant childhood in Italy. We, we all did. We all did. We had some really good friends um, and especially in this co- condominium, we, we made so many great friends and, um, yeah, we, we had a ball. It was such a great community. You know, and Italy is all about that anyway. So my mum had a really great friend that she would go and visit and she'd only be in the fourth floor. So 
yeah, it was just it was completely different to what we've been used to here in Australia. So what would you say is your fondest memory growing up in Italy? My fondest memory I'd have to be being chased by this porter. <laughs> <laughs> so so you found that fun being oh, chased by the porter? It was definitely a challenge and it was exciting, you know. This man would come around with a bat. And all the kids were just – and I think he, he kind of really had a good time chasing us too. I think he knew that we were so scared of him. but And he would do that really much, very much on purpose just to scare us a little bit. Do you feel growing up in Italy has somewhat shaped who you are today, those experiences at that age at those, in Naples? Well, I don't think it shaped who I am but I – do think that I've got a charismatic um, persona in me. So, no, I don't think. I think what shaped us is when we came to Australia. I think we, you know, having parents come to a, to a completely different country without knowing any English, any of us, and you could probably hear my accent sometimes when I get a little bit nervous. You can kind of, you can hear that I've got somewhat, a little bit of an accent still but my family sacrificed their lives for for all of us kids because they wanted us to have a better well a better a better financial situation than what there is at the moment in Italy so why did they leave Italy you were in Australia by the age of 10 and a half so how was that experience your dad had to leave for work so my remembrance of that was that we got hit by a huge earthquake in Italy that's I'm remembering this and that's only by my opinion my sisters might have a different opinion so we got hit by this earthquake and it kind of destroyed almost half of Naples it was quite vivid it was quite strong so there was a lot of unemployment I'm not sure I haven't really sat down with dad and actually asked him whether or not he lost his job or but we had a distant cousin um, come to visit us after this earthquake and basically had a chat to my dad and said to, to my dad, you know, you've got four kids. How do you feel about moving to Australia? You know, it's the land of, of gold. Um, you know, your kids will have a better future down there. And, and within, I don't think even a, a year, we applied for residency and we got residency and voila, we're here. So you came to Australia and at that point you, you said that you didn't know English. How difficult was that starting out in a new country not knowing the language at that age? You know, that's a very good question, Tanya, because like I said, I'm a very charismatic person. But I think the one that really struggled was my older sister. Um, she's, a, she's a little bit quieter than me and... I think she really, really struggled with with um, just the language. People were cruel. Oh, we just got so much um, racism, um, prejudice as well. There was a lot of that. But for me, it was more about wanting to fit in as quickly as I could. Whether Stephanie being a little bit older, she took a little while and she probably didn't actually want to prove it. Like not even proving yourself, it's more fitting in. 
in a society where it was completely different that was really tough it's a it's a very tough question to to even articulate but for me um incredibly tough at that age to to come into a new country and to fit in you spoke before about your charisma do you think that got you through definitely absolutely you know there was and maybe as an adult you can kind of step back I'm getting a bit emotional now but you can kind of step out of your shell and actually kind of look back and you think wow that was a really cool time it was a really sad time but we got through it and unfortunately it's probably shaped me but it maybe hasn't shaped my other siblings so why would you say that that hasn't shaped your other siblings compared to you well I think they just I think there's a sense of maybe not belonging in as you're older you might not feel that you belong here Um, do you still feel that no I know that I that I belong here I I've I I know that I've look I'm got an Italian citizenship I'm applying for Australian citizenship after all this all, all this time but you know this is this is the country for me this is where I love I love my work and I love um, the people around me but some people might differ to that especially the older ones I think the older ones are a lot harder you know I don't even know where my family where where they think they fit in you know being came came to Australia when they're th- in their 30s um, and, and extremely hard, you know, no sisters, no brothers, um, so no uncles, no no mum, no dad. Now they're the ones that have, you know, um, done it tough. I'm talking to Tiziana Cherry on the very first episode of The Shape of You and Tiziana Cherry has grown into Australian life in terms of owning her own business, remedial massage business. But at the moment, we're talking about the move to Australia and growing up here as well. So you're talking about your parents at the moment and and for your dad having to support a family in a new country and your mum having to settle in to a new country, it must have been tough for them and and having to to see your parents go through that as well. Well, first of all, my mum has never worked in her life. So when she came to Australia, she... She basically rolled her sleeves up and she started to work. And she worked in a factory uh, for a little while. Um, and then after that, she got a job as a, a main cook in one of the busiest restaurants in Melbourne called Campari Restaurant. And she worked there for 26 years. So having not worked in her life before, that was a big change. But again, a great Italian community and fitted in really quite well. Um, but... I am no doubt that they have missed their family, you know, um, more than what us kids have ever ha- have ever done. And the choice to move to Melbourne, Australia, compared to any other state in Australia, what was the reason for that? So this distant cousin lived in Melbourne and she was almost our buddy, like our buddy system, where when we landed in Australia, we were greeted by, um, I think, the Italian Coasset which is an organisation where um, all the Italian immigrants get welcomed by it. And and then having to live with this auntie for, until they got us some, like a, a home, 
we lived in, I think we lived in Northcote for a little while and then we lived in Clifton Hill and that's where we did all our, um, our study for English. We went to school in Clifton Hill. Um, yeah, so that's, that's how we, we got here. So how do you feel your life would have been different if you had have stayed in Italy at that stage compared to living in Australia? Do you feel that it was a positive move for, move for the family moving to Australia? Well, it's funny you say that, Tanya, because when I speak to my older sister, she tends to sort of disagree with me, but I actually think that we are, I don't think we would be able to have what we have in Italy, in what we have here. I often wonder what we would be doing. I know that a lot of my cousins don't work, um, and if they do work, I don't think Italy is well off anyway, but I don't think, I think... Life is different in Italy. I couldn't compare it. You know, you've got your family and your family is everything. Work is really not nothing. And any of you guys that have been to Italy, Italy is all about living as opposed to working. They live for today, not for tomorrow. We're very much a society where we live. We live for tomorrow. We live to save money so we can go on a holiday or we can save money so we can have a better house, better living. Italy is completely different. They probably couldn't care less if they worked hard um, as long as they had food on the table and, and had community around them, family community. It's interesting, isn't it? Do, do you feel that's in, embedded in the Italian culture in Melbourne and so forth where they, they still have that group situations where they love to be around their friends, love to be around family. It must be difficult for you, your parents in particular, not to be around extended family. Yes, very much so. Like I said, I I could only imagine how they felt when we when we came to Australia. Um, but now, you know, we're all married, we've got kids and we've made our own little family ourselves. And really m- most of my friends... Uh, are our family in fact I'll talk to you about my my clinic in a minute because a lot of them are my family I've had to you know I've had to create that myself and that's I guess that's probably why my business is successful yeah I'm looking forward to talking to you about that because this is where we move on to the next part of your life you you grew up in Melbourne uh, studying at high school and so forth and then then you head into your your early 20s into your career as such and, and what you wanted to do with your life and heading into remedial massage so remedial massage and exercise they're the two big components in your life aren't they uh, let, let's firstly talk about the remedial massage side of things and, and getting your business up and going so has remedial massage always been like a passion for you or what, what got you into it in the first place? So no, it has never been a passion of mine to be a remedial therapist. Um, it has always been a passion of mine to keep myself fit and healthy. Um, I guess I came from, from a cultural background where women basically cooked and cleaned and looked after their parents or looked after their, their siblings or vice versa. So we never had the opportunity to be able to um, fulfil the dream that I wanted to fulfil. So when I finished VCE um, or HSE at the time, I wanted to become a PE teacher because I was always into fitness, like I said. And the only person that really objected me into that fitness was my mum. 
So I wanted to be outside with the boys playing soccer and cricket with them. My mum completely felt that that was unnecessary and not a lady-like uh, discipline to do that. So, so that failed. Um, also, there's a number of things that failed during that time. Was My dad wasn't very well and his business didn't go so well. So I it meant that I, after I finished my HSC, I it meant that I had to go to work. Um, and provide and support my well my family and making sure that you know my studies were kept aside until we were we were okay financially to 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 get moving do you think back to those days thinking what if if I was a PE teacher no because I've actually I absolutely love my job um, and, and now studying for my therapy is giving me more of an opportunity to learn and give more of myself, give more of myself in knowledge, but also in my experience of um, the fitness field. So let's talk about the fitness field. We can go back to talking about your, your business and how you've grown so well over the years in terms of that. But exercise, it's a bit of a massive interest for you isn't it you're a fitness instructor and you exercise quite a lot so tell us about your passion for exercise and what that means to you so for me it's the health side of the fitness that I'm I'm really 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 vigilant on and um, almost an obsession you might call it an obsession but when I first moved out of home I got married I was very very young um, I joined a runner's club and I ran every day. I, I guess for me it was an outlet because I wasn't allowed to do what I wanted to do when I was still at home. So for me to 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 join a club and actually run um, was an activity of, of, on itself and it meant that I could keep myself fit. And then from running I went from competing in, in, in some marathons half marathons, then then came triathlons and it's, like I said, it's a little bit of an obsession. Um, 2000, 2000, I actually tore a hip a hip flexor and couldn't compete for an Ironman. That completely shattered me, but it is sort of something else. So I went into doing a 100K um, walk run, which was um, an ultra marathon. And so there's always been a, a love and a passion in keeping myself fit and healthy Um which has been really good. I've always been fascinated by the mental ability of people being able to run marathons and to be able to commit to that extent to running for so long. Just tell us a little bit about your mental ability to be able to exercise at that high endurance level. That's a a tough thing to do for a lot of people. I think for most of us that are quite fit and focused, that mental ability doesn't it doesn't come come into that equation. It's something that we enjoy doing and we love doing. I guess it's the pain that we want to go through. That that's what you kind of you're enjoying that pain threshold, if that makes sense. Well, there there is comments in the fitness industry that human beings, just in general, hate to feel uncomfortable. But it's different personalities, I suppose, that actually enjoy that feeling of being uncomfortable. Well, it's an accomplishment at the end of the day, the accomplishment of, of actually doing something that is extreme for some. 
would you run a half marathon, Tanya? <laughs> I don't know. I could give it a, if I trained enough. I, I think I could. I think I could. But at the same time, I think it's even that commitment to training, isn't it? It's it's such a tough, tough commitment to to give in your life, isn't it? When you've got other competing priorities going on in your life, so you have to be passionate about it. Would you say to to do that? I guess when you're young. You don't have those commitments, so you tend to sort of focus on what makes you happy. And running is, for many of you that are run, runners out there, you know that running gives you an adrenaline rush that nothing else will give you. It's an endorphins that nothing else can give you. So that running aspect was, was pretty, pretty, pretty damn good. So tell us about your injury. You did mention your injury there to your hip flexors and, and your knees. You've got injuries there. So... How did that impact you emotionally? So four weeks before my race, I I was running 27Ks every second day and I couldn't even run 50 metres. Um, and at the time I was under a trainer. He was giving me programs every month. And, yeah, not to be able to compete was completely, yeah, it was heartbreaking. I've never went back to triathlons again. And, and in fact, I did the ultra marathon and it completely upset my knees because I don't know, for some of you that know, know the body, one compensates after the other and unfortunately my knees compensated for my hip. And yeah, now I just, I want to save my, my joints and not, not do any of that anymore. I'm, I'm 49 and I focus myself on some cycling now and some swimming and some strength training when I can, when I have got the time. So you're in the fitness industry, you're an instructor as well, so you do a lot of classes. What's the best thing about being a fitness instructor for you? I think for me the best thing as a fitness instructor is to give a little bit of me for people that struggle in that department. Does it make sense? Yes, it does because... If you're not giving a part of you and you're not providing that level of empowerment, I suppose you, your clients, for want of a better word, would feel that from you? I think if there's some people that struggle with exercise and also motivation and you give them that extra help on, on some tools on how to turn that around, I think that's an accomplishment within itself. So you get on the bike for your class. What how are you feeling before a class? Are you a little bit nervous or you don't have any nerves? Never. Confident. <laughs> <laughs> so you found your niche then, obviously. Oh, I love instructing. I really do. I think it's great to see some some faces of pain or some faces of enjoyment definitely in the class for sure. So, so it's true that what they say that fitness instructors love to see people in pain? Definitely. So, so is that a sense of accomplishment then for you? Or? I don't think it's a, you know, it's pain that they're going through. I think it's lovely to see when someone doubts themselves to be able to achieve a full class or to be able to achieve one push-up or to be able to achieve something that they've never done before, that's accomplishment. And that's when we feel ourselves really proud. And you can speak to all instructors because, you know, it's, it's a skill you have also it's a fitness as well but it's a skill to be able to instruct a class and and deliver it well do you feel you have ever doubted yourself no never in in fitness 
oh. when you've got an extra 10 minutes to go? Have you ever doubted yourself? No. No. And where do you think that comes from then, that level of confidence? I think my ability to have done previously what I've done, like to be able to run a half marathon or a marathon, it's, or to be able to do a, a full triathlon, I think you have to have a level of confidence there, of achievement and fitness. And if you did doubt yourself, do you think that would be an even greater achievement if you did doubt yourself? If I did doubt myself, I would fail. Right, okay. So it's not about failure, failure for you at all. It's about getting out there and doing it and not doubting yourself. So doubting myself, I reckon, I actually think that during a half marathon, I hit the wall at 18 kilometres and in my head I was going, you can't do this, you can't do this, you better stop, you better walk, you better stop. And then something just switches on. So that's the doubting. But you can a- accomplish that by just focusing and I guess yeah that's what you can we can do we've heard athletes talk about that how they go into another level in their brain when they're at that stage where they feel like I'm going to give up I'm going to give up but something kicks in so what's the feeling like for people who haven't experienced that going over that barrier what's what's the feeling like it's awful it's not a nice feeling to doubt yourself to be honest I didn't doubt myself that much (laughs) But there has been a few times where, yeah, the long, the marathons and the half marathons were the worst. I never doubted myself on a 100-kilometre run walk, like the Oxfam, for example, or I, I, I ran walked from Shepparton to Town and back. That was a 50, 50 kilometres up and 50 kilometres down. Didn't doubt because you've got your time to actually finish it. But when it's a race and you've got that timeline, yeah, there's definitely some stuff that you can actually – there's thoughts in your head that come in and out. So I want to talk about personal training as well because you've done that as well, one-on-one training for people. What's what's the feeling there? What's the reason for doing personal training? The same. The same is to be able to give someone a different view of, of themselves. So I started training before I became a, a remedial therapist so that kind of holisticness and health in mind came all in one. So if does that make a little bit of sense? So I was able to see what people were struggling with, whether it was strength or whether it was an injury, and then be, be able to rehabilitate it, whether it's mind, body and soul, and then that, that gave satisfaction within itself. So your business, Agility, The Power of Movement, where's that name come from? What's that about? So I came up with that name about 10 years ago or maybe a little bit bit more than 10 years ago and I thought to myself, well, who am I? What am I? What do I like doing? And obviously if any of you have seen my logo, it's, it's actually got a swimmer, a cyclist and a runner and that represents obviously me in what I've done in in the past I don't know whether you've noticed that but that's that logo is more represents me and maybe the injuries that I have had in there so each person in my logo has a circle around a joint so it might be the shoulder for swimming knee for um for running and then maybe lower back for for um cycling so that's where that logo has come from so starting off your own business how tough is it? It's been extremely tough. It been, it, 
it's ex- extremely tough because you have to prove yourself. We, we're in a very small town um, called Bendigo, Victoria, very clicky town. I guess with a name like Tiziana where you can't really get away with it, you people most likely know who you are, which has been a great thing for my business. Um, but it, it's, it's extremely hard proving yourself to not just the individual but also um, health therapists, practitioners, physios, chiros, osteos. Um, but it's been extremely rewarding and it's been very good to me. So dealing with clients and, and different ailments and so forth, do you enjoy different clients coming in and do you like the challenge of that? I absolutely love it. I love it because I love what I do. So I don't have to guess myself. I don't have to second guess myself. I can actually treat and know that I am treating to the best of my ability. Mind you, it hasn't come easy. You have to learn. You've got to keep learning. I'm now studying for my therapy, which is another element to my my treatment table um, because I want to give more. I don't think there's a lot of education out there, Tanya, for people who, who are injured or are in pain. And, and being... Um, and being about education is is absolutely what everybody strives for when you go and see a physio, a doctor, a chiro. Well, they want to know why am I in pain and there's not a lot of that. So that's what I want to give to my clients. And I suppose with the ageing population that we're in at the moment and it's even more critical, isn't it, this type of... Absolutely, because if, if, if I would have been there 10, 20 years ago and say, well, hang on, why don't we change a few things it might, it might and might have and might have not prevented things to, to be worse. Osteoporosis, for example, you know, um, most women that are really quite thin get a lot of osteoporosis because there's not a lot of muscles around that joint. Well, if those women would have known back then, then they would have probably tried to do some strength training during their, you know, adolescent or, you know, middle age or, or, or so forth. Without naming any names, what's the worst case you've ever treated or one of the worst well it's funny you say that because I had a guy today in my clinic and I was telling him about this this story that I've had with a a a man of power that came in to bring his son and been treating his wife for a number a number of years and he said to me he was a um an executive man a businessman and he 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 took his his son in for shin splints and I said to him right you went went to start to treat treat his splints shin splints and looked at his feet and I said look you know I think you know he's got flat feet I think he should be wearing um better runners well he contradicted myself like he he contradicted me to no end and at the end I said to him if you know anatomy, please feel free to teach me what I don't don't know. But if you if you know anatomy, please please you know take the time to explain to me why you think like that. But if you do not know anatomy, then step away, get out of my room, so I can treat your child. And he did. He went oh. out. Was that hard for you? Yep. But I think if you believe in what you're doing, then you're able to to do that. And it's sort of take take home message really is that you should do something you love, shouldn't you? Absolutely, yeah. There's a lot of people out there that are doing jobs that they don't love. 
Yes, I think it's really important in life, isn't it, to be able to say, okay, I go to work every day and I'm passionate about what I do. And, well, you get excited about learning about anatomy and you're doing that with a myotherapy course at the moment, so you're even continuing to learn. Yeah, especially at my age, I think it's incredibly, incredibly hard to start learning. And those of you who are out there and always wanting to learn and picking up a book, I take my hat out to you because it's probably one of the hardest things I've done in a long time. Are you enjoying the challenge though? Yeah, like I think because English is my second language, I'm finding it incredibly hard. I don't know whether it's because it's an age where, I don't know, your mind slows down a little bit or but understanding things is a little bit harder for me to do. I don't know what it is. Is it age, do you think? It might be age. Might... Watch out. Don't, don't, don't go too far on this. Won't go too far. I, I want to talk about that language barrier. It's quite interesting because you you live most of your life in Australia and English, England, English sorry, is your second language. How hard is it sometimes to, okay, you count in Italian and you still think in Italian? What's the, what's the difference there? I was talking to my sister about it and I said to her, do you think that we're getting a little bit slower in our English? And she said, Tatiana, it's funny you say that because I actually think I have to think about now what I'm talking to you about because I want to relate it to Italian. So I don't know whether there, there is something that's slowed us down a little bit. We're not ancient. We're only 40. Oh, she's <laughs> a little bit older than me, mind you. Let's not say it too loud. Do, do you enjoy speaking Italian? more than English or what what's your thoughts there well I wish there was someone that I could speak Italian to so I could practice it more because really most of our Italian is gone we can still write it and there is a difference in the Italian language as well that some people might not realize oh Italy is full of dialects you know the Italians try and speak proper Italian but in their region the all the regions have got their own their own dialects the same as here, really. You speak very differently to what us Victorians do. You say your beer and we say beer and you say your beer. <laughs> West Australians do speak a little bit differently to Victorians. And, and I suppose oh. in Australia and all around the world there are different dialects, isn't there? And so in Naples? Well, the Neapolitan dialect is very vulgar. Is it's not it's not something I would love to learn it. I have no idea how to even pronounce some of the stuff. So how come? Because you grew up in Naples and you grew up sometime in Rome as well. So how come you? So my dad didn't learn that. My dad never wanted to teach us the Neapolitan dialect because it was so vulgar that he didn't. He wanted to for us to, I guess, talk with a bit of a lisp, <laughs> a bit of a upper market sort of, um, and and you know, n- not speak that, that Neapolitan dialect. Well, Tiziana Cherry, it has been fantastic to talk to you and learn about your life for growing up in Italy, moving to Australia, having such a successful business, having a great time being a fitness instructor as well, hurting people along the way. That's just what you enjoy to do by the sounds of it. So what, what's your take-home message here in terms of how you feel in terms of your life, whether growing up in Italy, moving to Australia, how it might have shaped you in the person you are today? I think, how has it shaped me? I think you need to be a strong 
person to be able to but I was very young I think that question is probably a really good one to to ask my older sister mind you she's only two years older so don't she'll probably say I'm not that old Stephanie's probably a better person to actually ask that because being 10 and being wanting to fit in into a different culture might have been a different experience for her to have if you if you probably spoke to her she would give you an, a different outcome I think for me it's who I am I don't think it's I don't think I would have been any indifferent um initially I'm still charismatic I'm still quite funny I'm you know I I'm a very gentle caring person and you know I'm not reserved I'm an extrovert I'm not an introvert so you know I'm I'm not sure I probably wouldn't have been as successful but I, I'm not sure I don't know Sorry, Tanya, I couldn't, I couldn't answer that. Well, you definitely have been successful and it's been such a pleasure talking to you today, Tiziana, and I hope that some people will find some inspiration in what you've had to say in, in terms of getting out there and just doing it. But that's probably the most important thing, isn't it, just getting into life and doing it? I think follow your dream and do what you're wanting to do because life is just way too short to sit at home and be... And being in a job that you don't actually enjoy and like. Tiziana Cherry, thanks for your time on the first episode of The Shape of You. It's been great having you on the show. Thanks, Tanya. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Shape of You. I look forward to you joining me for the next episode.